What's up, guys? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. If you're on your commute to work, hope this episode will bring you a ton of good information. If you're on your way to school, uh, hopefully, you know you can learn a little bit more from what we're about to talk about. Uh, if you're on your way to one of your games, uh, this might be useful to you. Uh, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, we just want to say thank you for your attention. Just wanted to take this opportunity to say that we are grateful for your attention. And as always, we appreciate you tuning into the show. Um, It's been awesome to be using this platform of audio and and being able to produce this podcast has been great for us. Uh, We get a ton of good feedback from you guys and we're very grateful that, you know, you guys are listening to it and you know, we really appreciate you guys giving us some feedback so that we can continue to do more of what you guys like and bring you the best possible content that's relevant for you. So thanks, guys, and have a great day. Hey, guys, welcome back to another episode of Shifted Radio. I'm Mike. Today, we have a really special guest on the show. We have Mike Kelly joining us. Mike works in the hockey analytics community, and he currently is an analyst for SportLogic, TSN, and the NHL Network. He has also been a TV host for those two networks as well. Mike, his specialty is in data collection and making sense of it all, and he currently helps teams basically improve their processes through the use of data. So it's definitely very relevant to our channel and what we do here at Shifted. So without further ado, Mike, welcome to the show. Mike, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing real well. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being on the show. Uh, this is great. Actually, it's a great opportunity to talk to someone who is well-versed in hockey analytics and who does uh, a lot of work It'll be great for me to learn more. Um, basically, uh, it's always what we're trying to do here. And it'll be great for the listeners to hear uh, what you do and uh, why it's so important. Yeah, no, I'm happy so, to talk to you. Yeah, no, good. Thank you. Um, so we kind of gave the people, the listeners, a little bit of a Coles Notes version of uh, your bio. But could you just take it? into a little more detail and, you know, kind of tell us who you are and, and what you've been up to. Absolutely. Yeah. I, um, I kind of got started in, in and around hockey, uh, through broadcasting and, um, worked uh, at TSN for a number of years and, um, hosted sports center for a time. I worked at the NHL network as a host as well. Uh, met a lot of really tremendous people, um, that, that have played the game, uh, at that professional level that have, uh, coached the game, uh, managed it, etc. cetera, uh, really just learned as much as I could from them. And, you know, always had an interest in the statistical side of the game. Um, you know, really when I was hosting a lot of these shows with these ex players and coaches, uh, I just found that was a way for me to be a part of the discussion. Um, obviously, you know, they can talk about their experiences on the ice and, and the way that they see the game. Um, and, and for me to be a part of that, you know, I, I wanted to take a bit of a different approach and bring something to the table as well, not just be a guy kind of teeing them up for questions and throwing to commercials. So, um, you know, I, I dug in as much as I could in that area and I got to know people who were, you know, tracking really interesting things, um, uh, in the game and, and started working for some of these companies and, uh, it's, it's led me to where I am today, which is kind of a combination of the two, I guess, doing some, some TV work still and um, some work as an analyst and also working uh, with some of the the brightest people in terms of data collection, um, some of the best technology, certainly in, in sports. And um, you know, it's, it's just been a lot of fun really continuing to try to learn as much as I can about a, a very complex game. Yeah, that's that's actually amazing. It's like kind of like a mixed bag there of a lot of different things going on, and uh, it's really cool how you describe those things and how media and analytics are kind of 
they're crossing paths now and, and it's been coming for some time and especially the analytics community uh, and that whole culture around hockey analytics is definitely um, getting to a mature spot where, you know, it's a very well accepted part of hockey and, you know, team building uh, is, you know, it's very, very based on a lot of metrics nowadays. And it's not just how we used to do it where, you know, you just take someone's opinion and, and see how it went for you. And, um, you know, like, I think that's a little bit of the common ground of how we kind of started getting to, to know each other and speak and, and interacting on uh, Twitter, mostly uh, around, you know, putting context to the stats. So that's, uh, that'll be interesting to get into and, and to hear your take on that kind of thing. But uh, I know you mentioned um, a few platforms there. So uh, if you could maybe just, maybe explain your role at each, at each uh, different thing. Cause I'm, I'm sure people are really familiar with TSN and the NHL network, but they probably aren't as familiar with a company like sport logic, which is really, really cool. Um, definitely analytics uh, community definitely would know who they are, but uh, maybe just give us a little bit of uh, background on those, you know, three entities and then whatever else you kind of got going on. Yeah, for sure. So I, I think, um, you know, TSN, NHL Network, pretty self-explanatory. Um, the, the work that I do there is, is uh, typically around the, the data that I look at and the statistics that I look at and, and my interpretation of, of the game through that. Um, and, you know, in working at SportLogic, uh, tr- a tremendous team there. And if you haven't heard of them before, um, it's, a, it's a data collection company, uh, a tech company, really, first and foremost. And... Um, what we do is we, we track every game in the National Hockey League. We track other leagues as well around the world, uh, collect as much information as we can, and uh, you know, use that information to give teams a competitive advantage. Um, we work with 20-plus teams in the NHL right now and um, you know, try to, to give meaningful insights in, uh, to these organizations so that they can make the best decisions possible, whether it's um, you know, what, what talent to acquire, player development, uh, coaching strategies, et cetera. And so, you know, working, working with such a great group of people has been really fascinating. I, I really didn't know much about, you know, the tech industry before I started working with this group. And um, anybody there will tell you first and foremost, it's a tech company and that happens to, to work in sports, really. And it's, it's been crazy to, to work with some of these brilliant people and, and literally some, some geniuses um, and just seeing, you know, when it comes to machine learning and, and artificial intelligence and, and how this can all be used to, to track the game and understand sports really um, in a way that, that I hadn't seen before, uh, incredibly eye-opening. And I think the Holy Grail, you know, for, for the type of work that I'm doing, it, it's, it's not about trying to find a number or a metric or, or a statistic that, that tells you what you need to know. Um, it, it's really about using everything that we have there and then using video and combining all these things to give yourself the most, you know, well-researched, well-versed thought or opinion you can have on a topic. And ultimately, I think that's what decision making is about, no matter what you're doing, is just acquire as much information as you can. Try to separate, you know, what's valuable from what isn't the signal from the noise and make the most um, intelligent and educated decision that you can make. So, you know, that's that's really how I started down this path in the beginning uh, anyways, was just how can I collect as much good information as possible to, to understand this the best. And it, it's something that, will, you know, there's not a finish line that will, that'll continue for forever, no matter what I do. Yeah. Um, but in this area, that's, that's the way I've tackled it. And um, you know, at, at no point would I ever say, you know what, I, I, I can watch video and I'm good. That tells me what I need to know. And at no point will I ever say, well, I can just look at the numbers and that'll tell me what I need to know. Um, what I've really learned is, is you've got to do both. Um, and, and you just do the, you know, you do both at the highest level you can. And, and when you, as you continue to, to learn and evolve, you, you continue to improve your process and, and the interpretation of it at the end is, is ultimately what matters. So you just try to be as well-versed uh, and educated as possible. 
Yeah, that sounds that sounds great. Like you're you're constantly learning and constantly learning about new things, and it's like you know you're, you're there's always new content, there's always new data to track, there's always players coming through, so there's always new stories to be told using the data and the combination of you know getting to understand you know what's actually happening. And I like that you you basically describe context and you know what we do here is basically we try to put context to um, marry the stats and the, you know, eye test. So, you know, it, it seems like that's kind of what you have been up to as well. And, and it's, I find that really, really interesting because I think that's where there's so much um, room for improvement and there's so much uh, room to make a lot of inroads within this community because I think that they're pulling you know, in opposite ways when really the, the best part is, is in using them together in conjunction. Would you agree with that? Yeah, 100%, right? And, um, you know, I think and I hope that a lot of people are kind of past the, what initially happened, which was when, you know, a more data-heavy side of analysis started coming to the forefront. It was a real conflict between the two sides. Um, I think, you know, quote-unquote traditional side of things kind of got their back up and say, Hey, you know, we know what we're doing here. We don't need this. And, and the more data focused people kind of said, well, Hey, a, a lot of your opinions and decision-making is pretty flawed. So we know what we're doing here. Um, and again, neither side can ever be perfect. It's you, you really need both to try to be close to perfect. So mm-hmm. that, that's the way I approach it. I mean, I, I think there's incredible value on both sides. And, and like I said, if, if I'm looking at a story or, or an angle to something, um, I'll check the numbers. I'll look at the video Mo- more often than not, it, almost on a daily basis. I'm calling people uh, who I respect in the industry, who, who have played the game or analysts, whatever they might be getting their opinion on it. Uh, I might not agree with it, but I want to hear where they're coming from. Um, and that just goes back again to just acquire as much knowledge as you can about something. Um, so I, I think it's at a point now for the most part where the, the, you know, the quote unquote, the old school is, is kind of embraced that there, there is value in this and, you know, where the people that are, are doing the, the data heavy work, uh, hopefully, and I, I think they do, they still understand that there's real value in, in getting uh, the opinions from people who, who have been inside it and, and have played, um, you know, people like yourself who, who uh, bring a whole different area of expertise to the table. Hey, Mike, sorry, we got cut off there, but you were in the middle of talking about the uh, contacting people and talking to people within the industry uh, on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, yeah, sorry. I don't know where we got cut off there, but we'll just, uh, we'll keep rolling. Um, Yeah, basically, uh, like I said, try to use video, try to use the the data that I have access to and, and, uh, yeah, almost on a daily basis, talk to people, who, who have played and have coached and, and really understand the game on that side of things that, you know, people like yourself that have played at a really high level um, to just put the whole thing together. Uh, you know, it's a big puzzle and, and, uh, and, and I think using every available uh, asset is, is just a prudent thing to do. For sure. And especially when you're talking about, you know, teams at that level, because, uh, you know, I, I know that you, you guys work with the NHL teams and there's a lot of, you know, obviously there's budgets there that would, are, are taking into account these type of things now. And there's a lot of team spend that will go on um, for this type of stuff. So having this, this level of uh, attention to detail and, and making use of all the necessary things that would be needed uh, is great. And it's a great approach. Um, I the data becomes too much or the eye test becomes too much where what's that point where like the the lines start to get like you know one is interfering with the other do you think that there's some point where you know they have to kind of agree to be like okay we can only go here yeah it's it's interesting you know um and there's examples i think of that um 
you know, the, the one thing to do. So first of all, it's a hard thing to explain to um, a casual hockey fan, really, that, that might not be interested in it um, in kind of high level data or, or really uh, familiar with it. So, you know, you can get into crazy stuff, right? Like the high, high level stuff, expected goal models and, and what goes into those uh, pre-shot movement, all that kind of stuff. And, and there's value in that um, for, for teams, et cetera. Um, when you're trying to explain to somebody on a, on a national TV show um, why something might be happening or why a team is winning or, or struggling, you, you've got to you know, talk to them in a language that they understand. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, if, we're, if I'm talking about, okay, well, this, this team really good at, at getting pucks into, into the other end with possession of the puck and, and holding on to it and creating chances, I think that's pretty straightforward. Um, we're talking about, you know, you want to generate shots from the best areas on the ice. Um, an example, you know, you talk about maybe too much or, or, or trying to understand the information in a certain way. There was a player this season um, who had scored around 20 goals the year before and really struggling to score. And I looked up his, his information and, you know, generating about the same amount of shots and, and actually generating a lot of shots from inside the slot and, and from really close to the net. And so that on the surface, you might say, okay, well, this guy's getting great looks. The pucks are going to start going in and, and, and that's the end of that. You go and you watch the video of all these chances and yeah, they're coming from in tight, but I mean, some of them are just one hand on the stick, poking it at the goalie. Mm. Um, And I went through the playlist of these chances and I'm like, this guy's not really getting great opportunities to score. So, you know, that's a, an example where you got to really marry the two to, to come out yeah. with the analysis that you want to you wanna have, right? And, and again, people who are, are really into this stuff will, will say at that point, well, yeah, that's why we look at other things that go into a model um, other than just where shots come from. But you got to kind of cut it off at some point so you can explain it in a really simple way to, to, to the masses. Um, so there's a bit of a, an art form to that that, you know, I'm still learning, but... Um, but it's just the whole thing's just a learning process uh, more than anything. And when I really first started looking into this stuff, um, I remember I, I mentioned uh, when I was doing work as a broadcaster, uh, the first time I saw puck possession, like as an actual number for, for teams, how often they have the puck. I thought, well, okay, this has got to be significant, right? Because you hear people talk about all the mm-hmm. time, like we want to be a possession team. We want to have the puck. Yeah. Um, yeah. What I realized you know, looking into uh, a couple of years of this data and now, you know, multiple, multiple years of this data is there's no real correlation to winning and having the puck in your stick. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm not a huge advocate of, of kind of Corsi and that, and those type of metrics. Um, that's a whole nother kettle of fish, but I, I think there's, there's better things to look at on a really base level, but um, understanding those things and continuing to learn um, it's been, again, it's something that's, it's always evolving and a lot of fun. Yeah. Like there's so many different things you could be looking for and it just depends on the approach, uh, uh, that you're looking at it, you know? So like, that would be like the perspective of, of who's looking at it and what they're trying to gain from it. And when you're talking about from a team aspect, you want to know what the team is doing and you want to kind of build your strategy from, you know, what the, the numbers are telling you, and then you have to really take into account uh, what the players are like. And that's what I'm fascinated by. Like, I love the player development side of this um, because I think, you know, the, I think in, in the, the perspective of a player, you know, being a player myself, I look at it from like, okay, what do I need to know that these teams are, you know, assessing and how can I be a better uh, player based on what these teams are looking for and then so i'm like okay well let's look for this kind of stuff and let's help these guys and educate these guys uh based on what the teams actually need versus what we think that they need yeah so that's that's to me where you get into um actionable data versus kind of more superficial um you know if i if i told you okay you know this type of information starts starts to kind of come to the forefront, you know, five, six, seven years ago. And people look a lot at shot metrics. And as a player, you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to go out there and every time you got the puck in the offensive zone, you're going to fire it at the net? 
um, because then you're going to have really good shot metrics. It's not going to help you score. It's not going to help your team win. Um, so I, I think from a player level, the, the players I've worked with, uh, with this type of information are a lot more interested in, okay, what's, ac- what's actionable? What mm-hmm. can I actually do to improve my game? Like, what, tell me where I'm deficient. Tell me where the guys that I want to play like and be like, what, what they do well, and tell me what, what I can do to get there. Um, and then you go and work with your skills coach and your, your team coaches. And you say, hey, you know, if I, if I want to produce more goals or, or more points or whatever it is you're looking to do, um, this is what I need to do. How do I do that? And that, again, is just where you're marrying all these different things together to try to improve. So, you know, there may be there must have been times as a player where a coach told you, like, hey, Mike, we, we want you to do more of this or more of that. Um, every single day. Yeah. <laughs> Only every day. Yeah. So, so what's an example of, of something that a coach said, OK, we want to see an improvement in, you know, blank area? Um, limit your turnovers as a blue line. <laughs> OK. So from a data uh, perspective, right, we could look at um, your, you know, whether it's the offensive zone or defensive blue line. Um, your controlled entries, your exits, your neutral zone turnover rate. Um, and we can kind of pinpoint, well, first of all, are, are you really turning the puck over more than average, more than you should, more than uh, other guys on your team, whatever it might be? You know, sometimes, yeah, I think like Eric Carlson is a classic example of this. And, and I don't know that the narrative on him really anymore is that he's a bit of a liability with the puck. It certainly was. Mm. Um, and I think it was longer than it should have been. I, I don't mm-hmm. know that it is anymore, but he's a guy who has the puck on his stick more than anyone, really. Like him and yeah. Drew Doughty are typically at the top of the league in this area. Um, so he is going to turn the puck over more than most people because he has it more than most people. Yeah. So then you look at a turnover rate, which is more uh, of an accurate representation. Mm-hmm. Um, but also... If you're skating up the ice and you turn the puck over at the offensive blue line and it goes back the other way for a goal, and that's the only turnover you have in the game, and another guy on your team turns it over five times and nothing really happens, I think coaches probably are wired in enough to know, you know that, what that situation is. But that might be the highlight on SportsCenter. And all of a sudden, yeah. hey, you know, Mike, uh, another bad turnover. That's a, he's got a problem. Yeah. Um, but really, you might be turning it over, you know, half as often or even less than other people. So that's where having this massive amount of data that you can really sink your teeth into and say, OK, well, you know, does Eric Carlson turn the puck over more than most people at, at a raw number? He does. Absolutely. He also has it more than anybody. And he yeah. does all these other things more than anybody. <laughs> so uh, that's just an example of, of where you could really dig in to try to find the, the root of a problem or if a problem even exists. Yeah. For, for me, like one of the biggest things that kind of kicked off this whole, you know, thinking about collecting data and why it's important was, especially when I was, you know, first starting to come into, you know, professional and being a, you know, young, impressionable player, you'd always hear like, and it was just popular at the time. We're just starting was, you know, you don't want to be seen on film the next day. Right. And, you know, you don't want to be seen on film the next day. So guys are getting, then that gave, that just gave, uh, you know, more and more ammo to, for the coaches to use against us. And the, the, the tool that was best is best suited for learning. All of a sudden, everyone has this negative association with it. And I would think to myself, like, why do we have this negative association with it? Because like when I'm watching this film, sure. Like, yeah, I made a mistake, but like I'm watching and I'm like, I'm learning so much from watching exactly what I'm doing. Like, why don't we just use that to see the good, the bad, the ugly, whatever it is. Like, that's just what it is. Like, why don't we learn from this instead of just making it about don't do this. Let's learn everything about it. That makes a ton of sense to me. Um, There was a coach I talked to not that long ago who, who, you know, was talking about a kind of a two for one rule that he has where, uh, he'll show two pieces of good video to a guy and for every bad one that he shows. If he's trying to show a guy, you know, hey, I want you to do this when you're skating the puck out of our end. Yeah, what good is it if you show five bad examples of what not to do? Okay, well, how do I get better? I, I clearly see what I shouldn't be doing. Tell me what I should do. Yeah. It's easy to point out problems. Point out solutions. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's 
you know, and you can speak to this too. I think it's probably gotten away from that um, a little yes. bit, which is a, which a is a good thing for sure. But um, but yeah, I mean, a video session I would uh, hope is is used as an educational tool to to show, okay, well, this is a problem, and this is how this is an, an example where we did this really well. So do this, um, and you can do the same thing with with data, right? You can you can support those video examples and um, yeah. It's crazy. I mean, I talked to a player once that I did some work with and, and he was telling me, you know, I'm on the power play, you know, I play the right wall. And, um, I, I the year before I was generating a lot of points and, and goals and everything's good. And, and this year, um, I haven't, I haven't, uh, generated as many points from, from the power play, like is, you know, what's, what's going on. And I showed him a map of, of the offensive zone broken down and where he takes his shots from um, as a percentage and where he scores his goals from as a percentage. So where he's most successful scoring and shooting, et cetera. And that area on the right wall, he didn't have a shot on goal from there. And he was like, that's crazy. Like I play on the right wall. How do I not have a shot from there? I was like, dude, you start floating a little bit too high and you've got a couple from like more towards the point. And it looks like whenever you're in that area, you're dishing more than you're shooting and that's fine. Um, but you're asking me why you're not scoring your, your shots aren't coming from where they came from last year. And he was blown away that he didn't have a shot from this particular area, but he, the fact that he didn't know that and, and had to see it, you know, on a piece of paper in front of him, um, I think can be really helpful for a player, right? There's so much going on. Um, if you can actually show that evidence and say, look, like these are all the dots and this is where things are happening. Um, you know, then, I would hope at that point it really reinforced in his head. Okay. I I've got to be conscious when I have the puck, not to drift too far into an area where I'm probably not going to score from, um, and start shooting pucks from better areas. So, um, you know, video can help in that way. Obviously it has for years, decades. Um, and I think we're starting to see that with, with different types of data also. Yeah. And it's amazing that, you know, we we've had video capabilities for so long, but we, haven't really known what to do with it for, for like a long time. And basically up until the last, I don't know, maybe eight to 10 years, have we actually understood, okay, let's collect data. That's not just goals, assists, you know, points. Let's collect data that's actually useful to us and how we can build our teams. I mean, I think I can't, I don't, I don't know who the, the first coach to do, um, video review was maybe I'm, I'm just going to spitball Roger Nielsen possibly. Back yeah. Yeah. In the day, but I mean, it could be one of the, the first guys who was actually using that, like the video to go back. And it's so funny. I just think back to my own career. Like we, I played in uh, Germany one year in, in Mannheim and you know, they're, they're owned by SAP and we had so much technology and, um, we had our, you know, our coach got fired halfway through the year. And then we brought in this legendary German coach who was, uh, he was like 65 at the time, but just a legend in Germany. And he basically took out all of the upgraded technology and put in a VCR. <laughs> and, and he, we did video review with the VCR. And it was hilarious to watch him fast forward and rewind. And you have to sit there and wait, right? And you're just thinking like, when I was a kid, I did this just like regularly and it was not even an issue like sure that's fine i could rewind my tape yeah. big deal. but now you think of that now and if the recall isn't there within like seconds you're just like all right this is i'm getting impatient and that's just been in the last few years and that's how media kind of is changing the game so and i see i see that you're big into media now and, and like you're understanding that part which is good because that's where it's going like it's here it's not going anywhere uh, I think hockey would be wise to understand that and start to you know, plan for that a little more. I think they, they have at least recognized that, but um, what's, what's your take on the role of media, not just traditional media where, you know, you go, you interview a player, but I'm talking about like the media aspect of sport logic or the media aspect of, you know, like the, uh, the NHL network or TSN, like what do you, how do you feel about well, that? So, what I've tried to do in the analysis that I do for, you know, TSN or uh, the NHL network and a kind of a project that, that uh, me and a couple people have, have started on uh, social media called the point, which if you want to follow it, you can go to Twitter at PNT hockey. 
um, is just data-driven storytelling, but storytelling in a way that I hope you, you don't watch something and say like, well, that's a lot of numbers or, or what, what was that number again? Like, I hope it's just, you know, uh, providing angles to stories with really high level information that kind of is less of an opinion and, and more fact-based. Um, you know, mm-hmm. one thing I heard a lot in the playoffs is, you know, yeah, Ovechkin this year, you know, we finally bought into, you know, what it means to be a team player. You know, he's doing the little things. And I'm listening to this. I'm like, what the hell does that mean? Like he's doing the little things. And you can show video. Oh, he, there he blocked a shot. And, and there he back checked. And that's good. Okay. So did Ovechkin block more shots in the playoffs this year? Not really. Um, he was averaging 0.5 blocks per game in his playoff career. And this year it was 0.6. So every 10 games, he blocked one more shot. Um, I don't think he's more of a shot blocker this year. And with the high-level stuff, I mean, you can get into all sorts of types of defensive plays, uh, block passes, stick checks. Um, It was all pretty much the same. Now, I'll concede that early in his career to now, 100%, he's made huge strides. Uh, But if you look at the Mm -hmm. last few years where the Capitals haven't had success uh, compared to this year, I mean, that's just people reaching, and it's human nature. You have to try to explain why this was different. Why did he finally get past the second round? Why did the Capitals finally win a Stanley Cup? There's some reasons there that, that I, I would get into that I believe in. But the notion that Ovechkin finally became a team player, like he was doing something he hasn't done in the last few years, to me is insane. And you can't back it up with any kind of facts. So, you know, that's an example where I think you, we could try to tell that story in a fact-based way. Um, where hopefully you as a viewer would watch that and say, oh, okay, well, I heard something different, but, you know, I'm seeing the numbers here and this is the story. So, so what, so yeah, let, let's get into this. This is good because, you know, like I have my take on it and it's a, it's probably a different take, but, uh, but like your take on it is, you know, the stats, what, what, what did the stats say about the the whole picture and like why did why did washington win this year what was what made them successful um i think so in the regular season they were a a really poor defensive team and i think typically you'd look at a defensive team and say okay well what's their goals against average hugely incumbent on the goaltender so you know if you want to separate that you say okay well how many shots do they allow how many quality shots do they allow what type of shots are they allowing uh off the rush cycle whatever it's going to be uh they were not very good and you know towards the end of the regular season there started to be a bit of a shift there and that's the team that we saw in the playoffs and again like they were in overtime in the third game of the first round a puck bounces the other way they're down three nothing to columbus they probably don't get out of the first round and I'm sure you can appreciate randomness in hockey as, as, as well as anyone. Yeah. You played it at such a high level. I mean, that's how close they were to being bounced in. It's just the same stuff. Ovechkin can't do it. The Caps can't do it. You know, Trotz probably isn't back. It's a whole other side of, of, of how this thing would have played out. But they come back and they win. And they're off to the second round and they win. And, you know, they finally get past the Penguins and they beat Tampa Bay and, and away they go. Um, to me, the defensive play was the biggest difference uh, of the team in terms of limiting opportunities, the, the shot blocking, which again, I think if you traditionally look at shot blocking, it's so how many are you blocking? If you're blocking a ton of shots every game, you're allowing a lot of attempts every game, not necessarily a good thing. So look at it as a percentage. How, um, how many of the other team shots that they do get, what percentage of that are you blocking? And some teams are shot-blocking teams. Other teams want their guys not to get in lanes and want their goalies to have clear views of the puck. And that's where hockey, to me, is there's not a a magic number because teams play differently. um, And they have different Mm -hmm. systems and different ways they try to accomplish ultimately the same things. But the Capitals were a great shot-blocking team. They were much tighter defensively. And in the cup final, they did something nobody else could do to Vegas, which is get inside on them. Um, they literally doubled the amount of, of passes they were able to get into the slot area uh, from what Vegas had allowed previously. They did it at a much higher percentage uh, in terms of their success rate of getting in there. And you look at the goals, like people talk about Marc-Andre Fleury, oh, he finally came back down to earth. 
Is it any coincidence that he had a rock star save percentage through three rounds on a team that allowed the fewest passes into the middle and the fewest shots from the middle? And then all of a sudden, when that gets doubled up in the final, it plummets. I mean, I watched the goals that he allowed. How many are you going to hang on him? A couple? Yeah, I mean, everybody, like everyone has their role to play, right? And everyone, their, their responsibility is to do, you know, their part in the team aspect. And that's what makes the team aspect. So, like, what I, what, the way I approach it is, like, is on an individual type basis. So, how can we make each individual the best that they can be? And by default, they're going to be better in the team setting. So, when I look at the, the, the whole playoffs and the way the whole thing went, you, you know, you remarked about uh, the, the bounce in overtime of game three uh, in the first round. And, you know, yeah, if that goes in, if, if it goes the other way, like, yeah, they're down 3 nothing. They probably don't, get, go, don't get out of the first round. What I like to, to see is, like, the human element. And I like to see, like, the emotional part of it. And that, not just, like, you know, obviously, like, high-fiving guys when, you're, when you score a goal. I'm talking about, like, what kind of resiliency do – these individuals have as athletes and people and and I look for that kind of stuff and when I saw the you know that emotional spirit kind of go off and and that that lift in their you know their their team morale their team spirit and when you see guys go out there and they do they do things and they're and they have that skill level to kind of go with it right so the caps for me they might have had they, I think they had a lot of good, skillful players making good plays, and then they were just able to execute a little bit better than everyone else. When I look at Vegas, like Vegas is very intriguing because I feel like their whole story is you know, encapsulated by just a bunch of like-minded individuals playing together collectively with a huge chip on their shoulder that did things because they wanted to prove a lot of people wrong because for whatever reason, the teams before them gave up on them. And then when you get that kind of atmosphere, there's a lot of learning that can go on. And the coach really, they will have a much greater impact on the team as long as they know how to treat their players individuals. And I think that Gallant probably did a good job of doing that. And you get this, you know, sort of controlled chaos effect that, that Vegas had. And it was, in my opinion, because the mindset of, you know, like we, we want to prove people wrong, but they had enough, you know, required skill to make those things happen. Yeah, I think, I think that's a really good point. And, um, you know, that's something, again, that you could speak to with your background and was something that I've really realized, which is probably counterintuitive with someone with my background, is that that kind of emotion in, in a game like hockey can be a difference maker. Like it has to be right. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can't quantify everything with a number. There's it's mm-hmm. a game where in 82 games in a year and 16 wins in a playoff. Um, some teams might be up one day, you know, in terms of, of the way they're feeling and others might not And a bounce might go a certain way. And you hear guys talk about all oh, that hit really energized us or, you know, that guy hit our guy and that got our bench going and, and those are real contributing factors, whether I think you want to agree with it or not, to yeah. a point. And you make a great point. You have to have the requisite skill to be successful. Yes. Like, that's the baseline. But beyond that, yeah. there's lots of other things that can contribute to win. And, you know, I brought this up at a, at a conference last year. And there was a playoff game. I don't know if you remember. It was the Rangers and the Senators. And it's hilarious thinking the Senators were in the playoffs a year ago. Like, <laughs> oh, my God, what a gone show that is. Oh, um, but Chris Neal dressed for a game, right? Cause apparently Tanner glass yeah. was all up in the sense kitchen, like Tanner glass is a yeah. difference maker. And, uh, and they dressed <laughs> Neal. He got in a fight. He was in the penalty box for five minutes. I, I think he played two and a half minutes. Everyone on that team after the game was like, man, having Neal out there was a huge difference for us. Like this guy did not do jack shit in the game. So you beat that out if you have to. I apologize, but no, it's it's fine. No, yeah, no, it's he fine, he but. contributed nothing to the outcome of the game, but everyone to a man on that team was like having Neiler on the bench, like and and in and and with us in that game was a huge difference for us. I don't think that can possibly be true, but the fact that they believed it made a difference. Yeah, I I you know what I for me 
from the point of view of the player, I get it because I've been like one of the stories I like to tell um, is about a guy named uh, Eric Nielsen. And we, I was playing in Norfolk at the time and uh, Eric Nielsen is a, a fantastic individual, like the ultimate team player. Like this guy would do literally anything, but he, he would be in the lineup and he wouldn't play a ton. But when he was in there, he knew his role. He knew he had to protect his teammates and he knew he had to do, you know, a big hit or something. That was his role to like change the energy of the game. And I'll never forget this one time we were playing in Wilkes-Barre and it was like a middle of the season game, but we were very close in the standings and, you know, we, we wanted to um, set a good message because we played them often. They're in our division so we were playing there. We were down 2 nothing, I think, at the time, or 3 nothing, and it was in the second period. And he goes out there, he makes a big hit, and then Steve McIntyre comes over to him, you know, and, and he's like, hey, you can't do that. And so they, they ended up getting into a fight. And, like, you know, you got to understand, like, Nielsen's not that big. He's really tough, but he's not that big. And, and McIntyre's just – Yeah, he's a big boy. <laughs> yeah. So they, they went out, you know, they, they, they fought, and – you know, Nielsen, I think he, like, he, he said after the fight, he goes, fight card reads, uh, uh, McIntyre, 30 punches thrown, 29 landed. Uh, and Nielsen, 10 punches thrown, one landed, right? <laughs> but he stood in there. He stood in there. He took, his, he took his beating. and But he stood in there, and he, you know, he, he energized our entire team by just his actions, by doing what he does best and knowing his role. And I'm telling you, like, the emotion we had towards that whole thing, like, it changed the course of that game. Like, we came back and we won that game. And, you know, like, it's just a small little detail. It's a, it's a subtle thing. But for me, I feel like that part of the game is so, so important. And I think the way the, the game is going towards like being very factual based and like numbers wise is kind of eliminating that part. But that part for me is a lot of fun for the, the fans to be around. It creates that, that bond, you know what I mean? Like it makes the fans feel like this guy is doing something for us, like our team. And, and you know, that's just how I feel towards it because I grew up, you know, in the nineties watching hockey and like, you know, you see, you, know, you cheer, like I cheered, grew up cheering for the Leafs, but you, know, you see teams and they're, you know, they felt like there was more passion around the game back then than there is now. And I, I, get, I get why, and I get that we're getting to a point where we're becoming, we're getting, we have so many tools to our disposal, but I just, I wish there was a little more um, of that passion around the game because I know from being on that side that that stuff does matter and it doesn't have to be a fight necessarily it can be anything it could be a guy standing up in the middle of dressing room after one period and be like hey let's you know like don't worry we got this type thing like a real like a true leader like doesn't have to be the captain or assistant captain or the coach it just has to be that guy who's who knows what to do in each situation and he's just doing his role yeah, well, I think you bring up a lot of really good points. And again, I'd go back to what you said before, which is so important. You have to have the requisite skill. Like that, yes, that matters. Yes. But beyond yes. that, these other things are important. And, you know, every team uses data, analytics, whatever you want to call it, to a degree. Um, there's one or two that I know of that I don't really think they do much of anything with. Um, I think that's a problem for them, and, and that's fine. Yes. But, that's a very big vulnerability uh, you, for them. I mean, it's, it's everyone you're playing knows more about you than you do. Uh, that, to me, would be an mm-hmm. issue. Um, but <laughs> yeah. to your point, you know, there are teams that, that are really, really invested and, and have made a lot of decisions based on this stuff and, and have some good underlying numbers. Um, but you can't go, you know, you can't fully go down that road because you're going to miss some of the other elements. And Mm-hmm. You know, what you talked about, I think, is, is important. And it kind of reminded me of, of growing up in Ottawa. And I grew up watching the Senators in Ottawa as a kid and um, in my teenage years, early 20s. And Mike Fisher was on that team. And Fish mm-hmm. was never the most talented guy. But he was a huge fan favorite. His teammates loved yeah. him. Yeah, the guy could play. You know, he'd, he'd hit. He'd, he'd have the odd fight. Um, he, was, he was a good yeah, player. Yeah, he... Uh, but the fans loved him, and he brought an energy every night. Like, 
he he wasn't good enough to be the best player all the time, but he was always really good. And sometimes he was the best player because the other best players wouldn't show up sometimes. You never had to worry yeah. about that with a guy like him, right? So, um, you know, I see a little bit of that, not, not to compare the players, but you watch Washington this year and Tom Wilson. And yeah. he's he was a 16th overall pick and the guy can play. He's on the top line. He's keeping up. He's producing. We were late in the playoffs. I think just before the cup final, I did a story. Um, he was averaging per game because he missed three from a suspension. Per game, he was averaging more even strength points than anyone else on the team. And this was like 10 plus games that. in. Like the guy's legit, but he, he's also going to play on the edge, right? And he's going to cross that line sometimes. And in that Pittsburgh series, there, you know, he, he did cross the line and he, he did play on the edge. And who did the Penguins have to answer anything that he was doing? No, they, they used they, to have a they guy. They couldn't have that pushback. Yeah. And he was pretty good for yeah, them they, too. Yeah, he couldn't have that. They couldn't have that pushback. And I, you know, I, I don't know whether that hit was, in my opinion, that dirty because I think he was just trying to do what he does. And he understands that he's going to play on that line. And, and sometimes, you know, when you're towing that line, you got to answer the bell. And I think he does a really good job of answering the bell when he has to. And I think he's just a, he's a good player. And I, I would, you know, I would say that more teams would want him on their team for sure. I would take Tom Wilson in a heartbeat. Absolutely. And again, I mean, you can't pay this guy 6 million bucks a year and expect him to be a difference maker for you, but understand what he is. Right. And, and I think to, like you, you could talk about it as a guy that played what having someone on the, on your team like that, who will stick up for you and fight for you if he, if he has to, and, and can put the puck in the net a little bit um, and, and play with an edge. Um, I, I would think that's pretty damn important. It is important because you know what it makes as a player, it makes me feel like, okay, someone's got my back. So like, I feel a little more confident now. So even if it's not like, you know, I'm going to go and spear guys in the face, like that kind of thing. Like <laughs> it makes me feel more confident so that when I go back for a puck in the corner, I know that I can trust my own ability and my teammates that they're going to be in the right position. So I know that, you know, there, I trust them to be in the right spot so I can make that middle pass. So we can get out of the zone really quick, or I can pass my D partner when he's calling for it, even though I can't see him, I know exactly where he's going to be. You know, those kind of things, they're triggered by emotions. And I, those emotions happen throughout the course of the game in ebbs and flows. And it's about, uh, you know, getting a hold of, you know, the game and who, who's dictating the play, right? And, and, and you want to control, you want to control the play. And it kind of goes in, in ebbs and flows and, and teams take turns controlling the play. But, you know, the team who can control it more throughout the course of the game, they're usually going to be the winner. And, and I, I'm sure that the data would probably back that up as well. But how do you get control of the game? You know, I, I don't necessarily think it means you have to go out and have a goal. I think it means you can go out there and you can have, you know, a 30-second shift where there's a lot of energy happening and you play strictly in the offensive zone. Or you, you know, you, there's, a, there's a, a missed assignment to the defensive zone and a guy helps out his teammate by, teammate by blocking a shot or a goalie makes a big save. Or during a timeout, the coach gets in the middle and he's like, listen, listen guys, like, don't worry. Like, you know, just, just weather the storm, we'll get out of this and like, let's, let's get to work. Like, it, it can be so many different types of things it doesn't necessarily need to be the one thing. It can just be anything. And I think for me, we, we try to put too much value into one moment when it's the collective and it's about the entire process. And for me, I love practice. Like almost, I love practice more than the game because I knew I just wanted to get better at hockey and I knew I could control more in practice that I could control in the game the game was like the easy part, you know, you kind of just, you, you're, you have to prepare yourself so much beforehand that you just kind of let it flow in the game when you get into that flow state. Yeah. I think that's spoken like somebody who prepared the right way probably. And it's funny, like it reminds me of, of what I do. And, um, 
I, the, the part I enjoy the most about what I do from the media side is the preparation and the research and the writing that goes into anything I do. And then when I go and the camera goes on and the red light goes on and that's kind of like the, you know, you're wearing nice clothes and it's this kind of sexy part of the job. Like that yeah. part to me isn't nearly as much fun as the rest of it. Like I love the whole process that goes into it. Cause like you said, if you're prepared, you just kind of go into autopilot and you do it right. It's just yeah. finding it ways definitely... to get better behind that. That's the real fun. Yeah, it definitely shows through your work. Like, uh, I mean, I consume your content and I watch your stuff and I, and I see you, whether it's on the NHL network or, or on TSN or, you know, what, with, uh, with the point here or on social media or on Twitter, you know, I see the level of preparation that goes into what you do because, you know, you bring a lot of good, valid points and you're, you're willing to think outside the box and you're willing to see the other perspective. And I think that's really, really important for um, the way analytics and the analytics community is going. And I think that it's just, it's just a refreshing take because as a player trying to make sense of analytics – I'm thinking of it as like the player, but I'm trying to take the perspective of, okay, what does the team actually need out of this? And I think that you're doing that from the other side and you're trying to understand like, okay, what is the player getting out of this? And I, and I like that, like as a player, you know, I feel like that's, that's a good thing because now we have understanding of, you know, Hey, there's maybe a little more than just the numbers. Whereas before, you know, there was no numbers and it was just eye tests. Now it's, then it got to the point where it was just numbers and no eye tests. And now it's like, okay, like we understand all this. Let's make it work together kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I, I totally agree. And, and I appreciate it. And I think it's funny, you know, like there's a lot of people quote unquote, the analytics community that think, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Uh, Cause I use different type of information and, and maybe I don't value certain things as much as other people. And, and that's fine. Um, the one comment I've got a lot from people that have played uh, the game and been in the game um, is, you know, I never really was huge into numbers or, uh, or analytics, but like what you say makes sense to me. And I take that obviously as a huge compliment um, because like I said, I think people are more interested in what's actionable. What can you actually do with this? Um, is it just something superficial or is it something that you can say oh okay uh i i get that and and i i know how i can uh make an adjustment to try to be better in a certain area and you know that's where i think it's gone from there really wasn't much on the numbers side behind anything to uh there's there's a lot of numbers uh available now uh and a lot of information you can dig through and and there are some teams that have hired you know data scientists uh, which I think is great. Um, but at the same time, I mean, you need people uh, who also understand the game of hockey and can interpret that data and explain that to a coach or a player in a way that they can understand. Um, and I think that the teams that do the, you know, do this the best have both sides of that. When there's some teams that just have one or the other um, and things can get lost in translation a little bit. Yeah, and then you're, you're, and they're not being efficient, and they're they're like they're losing uh, the value of the one by not pairing it with the other. Yeah. and I think that there could be so much more room and potential, and they would find they'd find it more of a, a more balance, and they'd be happier with the the service that they're getting if they understood, hey, these things work in conjunction instead of they work in opposition. Yeah. Right. And I think it's going that way, honestly, and, and has been for a little bit. Um, I think it still has room to go, but th that's, that's to me the direction it's heading in. Um, and you hear the league talk about, uh, you know, putting chips and pucks in, uh, and having different technologies that are interested in down the road, uh, the near future. Um, at some point, you know, a lot of this is going to be unleashed uh, and then it's going to be a mad scramble. Okay. Like, what do we do with this stuff and, and, and how do we you know, properly use it? Because um, like I said, for me, it's, it's still nowhere near perfect uh, in my interpretation, um, but light years ahead of where I was at the beginning. And for, for anybody, I think, you know, when you first start out uh, digesting a lot of this, it's, um, it, it, you know, it takes time to go through it and it, to really understand it the best that you can. 
Yeah, it definitely does for sure. So what's, uh, what's next for, for hockey? Do you think like, where do you see all of this going and, and like, what do you think like your projections are based on what you've seen and what you've been dealing with and like, what's next? Well, the, I mean, the league's talked about it and I think it makes sense that player tracking is probably next um, where you're actually seeing the skating patterns and um, you know, how fast people are going and, and how fast they're shooting, et cetera. And some of that exists already. Um, you know, the things that drives me nuts, you'll see in a broadcast, Oh, here goes Connor McDavid on a breakaway and he's skating 40 kilometers an hour. And Oh my God, he's fast. And like, yeah, okay. Well, I know Connor McDavid's fast. Um, 40 kilometers an hour seems fast, but what's the league average for a skater? What's the league average for a skater on a breakaway? Um, what's, what's his average? Like there's no context. It's just, Holy shit. We've got technology. Let's use it. Um, and I think you're going to see that, you know, when, when this starts happening as well. And, um, but, but it's fine and you sift through it and, and you, you learn to understand it. But I, I think player tracking will probably be a, a big wave where now you're starting to, uh, you know, if the league adopts this at some point, you're, you're going to have entries and exits and, and where teams attack, um, uh, how teams generate offense, how they defend. Uh, you're going to see all these patterns on the ice and be able to quantify it with numbers. Uh, and that, that gets pretty deep and, and pretty heavy, but, you know, pretty interesting as well. Yeah, a, a very another element of uh, strategical uh, ploy to to be you know used as a as a weapon or uh, in defense. Basically, uh, it's it's really about counter counteracting, right? And um, when you're when you're on the counterattack, you want to know what's happening, where, and that information and that kind of data would be super super relevant and important. So I think that's. Yeah, I think that would be pretty cool to, to have that kind of stuff, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so what about for you personally? What, uh, what do you see in your future coming up? Uh, what's for you on deck this summer? Um, well, this summer, uh, we are, again, with this, this uh, internet project, this social media project, The Point, um, trying to create a lot of new interesting content. Um, Starting tomorrow for the six following days leading up to the NHL awards, we've got a video every day on who should win what award uh, and why um, using some of this, this data that we collect uh, or that I've been looking at um, to, to kind of break down, uh, you know, for instance, goalies, right? If people voting for goalies, you're going to look at wins, save percentage, shutouts. Um, I'm also going to look at high danger, save percentage, you know, what, what, uh, how good are you at stopping pucks from difficult locations on the ice? The Selkie trophy, um, looking at individual defensive impact for the, these forwards have, uh, because how else do you quantify a, a forward's defensive ability? You can do it at mm-hmm. a team level, like when he's on the ice, how many shots or scoring chances or goals or whatever, but he's still one of 10 guys out there. Um, so yeah. there's, there's a lot of really interesting ways I think to look at, at certain things and, uh, I'll continue to do that. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just, you know, more than anything, really enjoy being involved in, in hockey in, in a, a few different ways and probably take a few days off at some point, too, to uh, sit on my dock yeah. at the cottage and have a beer and do some fishing. That sounds great. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> well, I guess I'll leave you with the last question here. What's your favorite stat uh, that most people might not be thinking of, but you really, really like? And what do you think, like, the, the one that's maybe really, you know, tells a good story or is maybe more influential than, than people would know? Oh, that's a great question. There's, there's a few of them, honestly. And uh, it kind of goes back to what I've said before, which is in, certainly in hockey, there's not a really catch-all statistic or, or number. It's, it's more like, what are you trying to do? And, and, and then how do those numbers go into that? Um, I think, you know, I, I saw at the World Hockey Championships, um, they were tracking and releasing some pretty interesting information. They looked at passing percentage and said, hey, this guy's got the best passing percentages. They tracked all the passes, obviously, and this guy completed, you know, 78%, and that's pretty good. Um, but having looked at this information for many years, uh, I know that that's not the right way to value how good a passer a guy is because... Nicholas Cronwell is a guy who comes up at the top of the list every year in the NHL. Pretty good passer, 
guy goes D to D a ton. You know, he's, he's not the yeah. guy making the outlet passes and, and creating, you know, these phenomenal opportunities out of his own end. So, uh, you know, that's an example where, again, if you don't have the context, you can kind of go down a bit of a rabbit yeah. hole. Uh, but in that vein, um, to, to get a little more specific with it, passes into the slot. Now you're setting up teammates for some pretty good looks on net. And, you know, I go back to last summer, about a year ago, I was looking at Claude Giroux, had a pretty down year. Uh, statistically goals points it was one of his worst in you know five six years I looked at his passing metrics shooting etc he was still one of the best passers in the game getting pucks into the middle of the ice generating on the power play on that left wall which he's so good at and I thought man Mm -hmm. this guy's gonna have a great year like everything is still there I don't know I don't know I I didn't know exactly at the time why it didn't translate Um, and that took a bit more research but I came out of it and I did a video. I said, Claude Giroux is going to have a really good year. It's, it's all still there. And Backstrom's another guy who's so great at, at getting pucks into those tight areas. And you see that on the power play. So, you know, you know refining a, a, something like a passing metric and looking at more specific uh, examples of, of where these passes can be made uh, to give you the best chance to create something meaningful out of it. Um, and you can do that with anything, with, with skating, with the transition game, with shooting, with goaltending. Um, those are the kind of things that interest me a lot. Yeah, I love the transition game. I think it was so super important. I remember playing for Guy Boucher uh, in Hamilton and Tampa. You know, he it was so big. Like the whole one three one system is basically designed for counterattack and transition, uh, which most people might not uh, agree with or understand. But that's you know the the mindset is get the puck back and go on offense as quickly as you can. And I remember, like, we just we, – we out-counterattacked the other teams to death because, you know, we'd have, I don't know, 50, uh, you know, transition attempts in a game, like, where we'd a- attack the offensive zone and, and the other team maybe would have, like, I don't know, 20, 25, something yeah. like that. And, and that – it would kind of match up with, uh, like, how many shots, like, our shot generation – uh, we just had a ton more shots, and that my, our mindset was very attack, attack, attack. And when we're in defend mode, it's wait till they're in the proper spot and then attack, attack, attack. So, like, I like that part, the mindset behind that. So, I'm gonna I'm really gonna make an educated me. guess here that that's really difficult to get an entire team to buy into, and if they all do it, it can be successful. And if a couple of guys stray, you're kind of screwed. And it's exactly what you see with, with his teams typically. Exactly. Is, that, is his teams, you know, if they, if they have, like, Guy is, is, like, for people who don't know him, like, Guy is an incredibly intelligent individual. And he is very, very methodical. And he's just a tremendous human being. And he's got a lot of really, really good ideas. And, and like, it just, you know, some players might not, like, they might not understand it or they might not want to buy in. And that's when things can get, can get bad and that goes back to like why Vegas had such a great year this year because they all had the same sort of mentality and that's when you get really good team success when you when you have everyone that you know they have that buy-in effect but it's really just they have a common sort of mindset towards what they want to achieve and they're willing to you know understand their role within the context of the team yeah for sure it makes perfect sense and uh and no doubt he's a bright guy, and it's, uh, that's a tough system to play. But uh, you know, we'll, see what, we'll see what happens for them this year. they got other things to worry about now, that's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> there's a few other things. Yeah, that's uh, the context is uh, valuable. Yeah. So, all right, well, where can people find you on, uh, on social um, that uh, they can connect yeah, with Yeah, I'll say quick. i got 2% on my phone, so hopefully I don't get cut off here. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> they can find me at Mike Kelly NHL on Twitter. And like I said, the point is at PNT Hockey. Um, that's where a lot of stuff goes out and uh, share a lot of links to the stuff I do. So, so if any of this has remotely interested you, then that's where you can see it. <laughs> well, it's definitely interesting me. And uh, I definitely love to uh, stay in contact. And we for sure will keep on following you. And uh, I think it's, it's great that we've connected. And uh, I really enjoy what you've been up to. So thanks for stopping by the show. Hey, today. appreciate it all. For sure. All right. Well, have a good day and we'll chat next time. Ciao. Cheers.
Thanks so much, Mike, for joining the show today. It was really cool to get your perspectives, uh, especially being from someone who has been involved in the analytics community and media community for some time now. Obviously, you've done some good work with TSN and the NHL Network, and now over at SportLogic, uh, doing a lot of really cool stuff and um, this this project you have going on with the point seems to be really cool um, it's a great way to storytell in a different way we really like that you are offering context to the stats I think that's really really an important part uh, it's exactly what we do over here at Shifted Hockey we try to take the aspect of what the player needs and try to use the stats to enhance what the player can do and build around that so that we are taking a new age type approach but also using the core fundamentals thanks again guys for listening to the show today uh, obviously it was one that was very very good with and filled with a lot of really hockey specific information and analytical data and just some great hockey talk and it's great to talk to people in that uh, industry uh, every once in a while to make sure that people remember that we're dealing with hockey and hockey players and upgrading performance um, I think one thing that Mike has been able to do in his time is work with some athletes and he has uh, some history with you know helping teams assess their performance so uh, it's really good to get his perspective and his take on things. Thanks so much, guys, for listening to today's episode. You've heard me talk a little bit more and more about the audio approach to what the new way of doing things is. And, of course, you know, you guys have been listening to the podcast for some time, and we really, really appreciate that. And we love giving you these episodes and bringing this more to you. But... If you could really do us a huge favor and head on, head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating, uh, it just helps us to be discovered more by more people and it will give the ability for someone else to hear us. So if you like today's episode, head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating if you will. That would be awesome. If not, no worries. Head on over to Instagram and send us a note and let us know how we're doing. We're very active there and on all social. You'll be able to get a hold of us, but um, this is just part of our plan of execution and we uh, really appreciate you guys tuning in. And as always, we love bringing you guys this good information and hopefully you guys have been enjoying our guests as much as we have. So thanks guys for listening. Thank you.